don't know about you, but I love a good courtroom drama. And there's nothing better than watching a lawyer execute their case. How they skillfully accumulate the evidence and then they put it on display in order to demonstrate whether or not the defendant is guilty or innocent. What we have here in John chapter 5 is something like that. The one who appears to be in the dock is Jesus. And he's going to have to present, in his case, evidence. Witnesses to back up the claim that he has been making that he is equal with the Father. If you weren't here this morning, we've been working our way through John's gospel. And in John chapter 5, it all began with Jesus healing a, a crippled man. But he did it on the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders accused him of breaking the Sabbath. In response to this charge, Jesus responded by saying, My father is working until now, and I am working. What the father does, I do. And from that point forward, the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead. They charged him with blasphemy. And and as we walk through Jesus this morning claiming that he was equal with God the Father, you can almost hear these Jewish leaders as they're standing listening to him saying to themselves, it's one thing for you to claim it, now prove it. Show us the evidence. Corroborate your story, your claims. No doubt these were the sort of things that the Jewish leaders were saying within themselves. Now it shouldn't surprise us that they would say these sort of things within themselves because every Jew knew the legal system. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Well, in the verses that follow, Jesus responds to this unspoken demand by offering them various witnesses that validate what he's been saying about himself, that he is the Son of God. And this evening, I want us just to walk through this passage as Jesus presents witness after witness. Now, as Jesus begins calling the witnesses to the dock to affirm that he is God, it's worth highlighting that Jesus did not call in these witnesses because he felt his own testimony was inadequate or insufficient. We might read verse 31 and think that's the case. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Jesus as the Son of God, did not need any external witness to validate his claim because Jesus is God. He doesn't need to stand and say, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, because he is God. He needs not, he doesn't need to appeal to anyone, but what then does verse 31 mean? 
Well, we need to read it in its context, and it's clear that he says they are deemed true, versus what Jesus will go on and say in John chapter 8, verse 14, even if I do bear witness about myself, my witness is true. Now, so why does Jesus say this in verse 31? Well, just go back and look at verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I he, I judge, my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is once again saying what we learned this morning. He does nothing apart from the Father. He's simply saying that he will not give, he will give no testimony of himself independent of the Father. You see that in verse 32, the Father bears witness to him. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony he bears about me is true. And we'll come back to the witness of the Father, but let's begin where Jesus begins, verse 33, with the first witness he calls to the dock, John the Baptist. Verse 33, you sent to John, and he is borne witness to the truth. Now, it should hardly surprise us that John, that Jesus first of all appeals to John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist's reason For coming into this world, John chapter 1 verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist is one of the most important individuals in scripture outside of Jesus. We looked at that when we studied him back in the early chapters. Indeed, he he was the last Old Testament prophet. His ministry was unique in redemptive history, unrepeatable. He came to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, Jesus says here in verse 33 to these Jewish leaders, you sent to John. Remember that's a reference to the, the, the Jewish leaders back in chapter 1 had sent a delegation from Jerusalem to go meet John as he was out at the Jordan and to inquire who he was and why he was gathering all these crowds. And remember how John John the Baptist responded in legal language, if you like? To them, John the Baptist confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. In chapter 1, he goes on. He bore witness to the truth of Jesus Christ, saying, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. The strap of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. And you go on in John chapter 1, and you read John continuing to bear witness to Jesus. He saw Jesus coming on one occasion, and he shouted, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist's ministry was one always with him decreasing and Jesus Christ increasing. He gave consistent testimony to who Jesus was. The Savior of the world. The Son of God. But if you look back at verse 34 of chapter 5, Jesus insists that John the Baptist's testimony was not for his own sake. 
John the Baptist's testimony was for their sake. Now that the, not that the testimony, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. What Jesus says here is that John the Baptist's testimony does not establish Jesus' glory. Jesus' glory comes from God the Father. No other testimony is needed. But John came so that people might believe and be saved. Now what's fascinating about the ministry of John the Baptist is many came to him. They came in their hundreds, if not thousands. Jesus says as much in verse 35, he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Notice that Jesus says these Jewish leaders, they were willing to rejoice for a while in the light of John the Baptist. They liked him. They, they, they could see that he was a hipster preacher with the way he dressed, but they were totally intrigued by him. There was something so appealing about him. But what they didn't understand was that Jesus's that John the Baptist's entire ministry was about Jesus. Hence the reason they only enjoyed his ministry for a while. For when it dawned upon them that it wasn't about him, it was about Christ, they rejected him. Now just before we leave the, the witness of John the Baptist, can I say something for us? God often uses people in our lives, to help us see Christ. Some of you have heard your testimony before, and your testimony involved a Christian friend who lived either a consistent Christian life, and it spoke to you, it challenged you, it convicted you. Others of you have have shared testimony to me before of how God used a family member who was a Christian, and it was just their faithful prayers and encouragement. You're Jesus appreciates John the Baptist's witness. Brothers and sisters, so must we appreciate those in our life who have shone for Christ and challenges us. What kind of people are we that we shine and burn brightly for Christ? Well, as this courtroom drama continues, Jesus now calls another witness to the stand. And each time he calls a, a witness, it's interesting to note that their testimony becomes stronger and stronger. Now, what witness could possibly be stronger than John the Baptist? Well, the second witness that Jesus brings into the dock are his own miraculous works. that he has done in the sight of men. Look at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. If you know John's gospel, you know that at the very heart of them lies the signs of Christ, the miraculous works of Christ. The seven signs. We've looked at them so far. First Jesus turning water into wine. Then Jesus healing the royal official son. Then Jesus healing the crippled man. In the next chapter he's going to feed the 5,000. He's going to walk on water. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And all of this only in preparation for his great and glorious sign, his death and his resurrection. 
But you know, the tragic thing is Jesus brings his, his works into the dock, as it were, to bear witness about him. Those listening were completely and utterly blind to the signs. They couldn't see where they were pointing. They were pointing to who Jesus is. You see, the turning of water into wine was not merely to improve the wedding feast. Jesus did this to testify that the Father had sent him. Healing the official son or the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. It wasn't merely about improving people's lives. But it was in order that people would see that he is sent of the Father. Nowhere is this clearer than in the healing of the crippled man. Literally, these Jewish leaders on that Sabbath saw this man who had sat next to a pool for 38 years walking and carrying his mat. And yet they missed the miracle. And all they wanted to do was make accusations. So Jesus presents his works as a witness to who he is. They're a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But such was the deafness, such was the hardness of heart that these Jewish leaders couldn't hear it, they couldn't see it, they couldn't understand it. Well, then we come to the the third witness that Jesus brings into the dock, and it's his father. So verse 32, which we read earlier, is about, there is another one who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Then five or six verses later, Jesus starts talking about God the Father. Maybe they wouldn't listen to John the Baptist. Maybe they weren't impressed by Jesus' miracles. But surely, surely, one would think the Father's witness, that they will revere, that they will listen to. After all, God is perfect. God is pure. God is faultless. God, his word can be trusted. His testimony is true. God, the Father, had said of Jesus, this is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased at his baptism. Then at the transfiguration, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Problem with these Jewish leaders is they would not listen. Okay, verse 37. And the Father who sent me has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You know, as we're reading through this, it begs the question, who's really on trial here? Because it feels like Jesus in this moment turns the tables. And this would have been devastating to his Jewish listeners. You do not believe. The one whom sent, who sent me. Look as he, as he continues with the Father's witness. Look at verse 39. He says, you don't even listen to the Father's word. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Consider the tragedy of this. These men were the Jewish leaders. They knew the Old Testament scriptures inside and out. They poured over them every day. They memorized them. 
And Jesus is saying, guys, you've blown it. How have they blown it? They think that in them they have eternal life. What a terrible tragedy. They search the scriptures, but they do not hear the Father's testimony. They do not see what the Father was doing from the very beginning. He gave his people prophets, priests, and kings, all pointing to the one who is the prophet, priest, and king. There in the Old Testament, there are shadows and types all pointing to Jesus, but they couldn't see it. The New Testament, they were very specific and clear prophecies. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem to a virgin. He would come from the line of David. All of the scriptures bear witness to Christ. But these Jewish leaders, they search the scriptures. But they can't find. They can't see Christ. Brothers and sisters, I think there's a, a helpful application for us here as well. You know, sometimes as Christians, we might find ourselves, as it were, in the dock. You know, we've all got Christian family members, friends. And they'll sometimes say things to us like, come on, prove to me that Christianity is true. Come on, what's the evidence? Like, how can you claim that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through him? Do you understand how ridiculous that sounds? That you and you alone have the the exclusive truth? What about the Muslim? What about the Buddhists? What about the people who don't believe in God? Are you honestly saying... They've got a lost eternity. What makes you better? I see your life. You don't seem to live up to this perfect Christ, this Christianity. Here's the helpful application. When we find ourselves in the dock, our confidences should never be in ourselves. But our confidence ought always to be in the scriptures. Because they bear witness about Jesus. And the testimony, the Father's testimony about him from beginning to end is true. Now now let me go a wee bit further. You know, sometimes you find yourself in the dock because of yourself. Sometimes you have your doubts about Christianity. See, the, the, the truth is of the matter is we're all sinners. We've all got frail and fragile minds. We've all got easily confused hearts. But in those moments where you have your doubts, you need to learn to doubt your doubts by taking them to the Scriptures. Don't let your feelings which ebb and flow Be where you root your confidence. Root your confidence in God's word because they bear testimony to Jesus. So we have these witnesses. John the Baptist. Jesus' work. Father's testimony. The Father's word. And yet, 
these Jewish leaders still do not believe. Despite all the evidence plentiful, sufficient, clear, no matter how much evidence is presented to them, no matter how many witnesses there are, they would not believe. And now Jesus diagnoses the problem. And their problem is a heart problem. You know when your friends say to you, prove it, prove Christianity is true, come on, back up your claims. Nine times out of ten, even if you were to give them what they were looking for, they'll still not believe. It's not evidence they're looking for. They've got a problem. It's a problem of their heart. Jesus has given ample evidence to who he is. Let's look at Jesus as he exposes the problem of these Jewish leaders. Look down at verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Problem number one. This is the reason why people don't believe. They do not have the love of God within them. It's a problem of their love life. We've been looking at this all all day. Remember in the morning, Jesus says, verse 20, for the Father loves the Son. At the heart of Christianity, at the heart of who God is, is love. Christianity, honestly, in a real sense, is all about love. The Trinity. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Father. The Father loves the Spirit. And and when we're called to be Christians, we're called to love our God and receive His love. We love Him because He first loved us. Now, these men who stand in front of Jesus, here's their accusation. You're guilty of blasphemy. You claim to be equal with God the Father. Here's Jesus' accusation to them. Your problem is you don't love God. You want to defend God? You don't love Him. Because you don't accept the one who God has sent. Here's a help when you're evangelizing, just to keep in your back of your mind, is that so often the problem, perhaps a person who, who you're, you're trying to share the gospel is, it's a love life problem. They love other things way more than they love God. And here Jesus goes on and he, he, he diagnoses what it is that people often love more. Look at verse 44. I'll read verse, begin at verse 43. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you know who they loved more than God? Themselves. They were more concerned about the praise of people than the praise of God. Now, 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 don't miss it, right? When they saw this crippled man walking with his mat, what is it that makes 
Their, their response to that should have been, praise the Lord. But it's not. They're furious. And it's the Sabbath. But whose Sabbath law is it? God's Sabbath law? Nope. Their Sabbath law. It's the traditions of men. You know, you know where you can find people who love themselves? Is in religious circles. They might give you the impression they love God, but they're rid of it. They love themselves. All the, the, the law keeping is about receiving praise from one another, but not about giving praise to their God. Jesus exposes the heart problem. People don't love God. They often love themselves more than they love God. Such is the hardness of heart. They can see a miracle, a transformed life, the sign pointing to who Jesus is, but they miss it. Instead, they stand in condemnation. And now going back to the point, who's on trial? It's not Jesus. It's them. Look what happens next, verses 45 through 47. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, Jesus' condemnation here is truly damning. It was Moses who they put their hope in. Moses, the, the, the one they saw as the great Old Testament prophet, the one who had given the law, who would written the law on Sinai and the stones, it was Moses. But they missed it. They totally misread him. The law that, that, that was given to Moses on Sinai, it was actually an outline of the righteousness of Christ. The, the, the sacrifices that Moses was called to institute at God's command, they were all pointing and announcing Christ's death. But they looked at the law and they thought, this is the basis upon which we can be made right with God. This is the basis upon which we should live our lives. Gordon Keddy says this, what could be more startling than the warning that the very same law, the one with which they felt themselves to be safe, would be the measure of their condemnation? Moses, on the last day, will accuse them. You missed it. All that he had written was about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and one of the tragedies of people is that, and often religious people, when they develop a mindset where it's about keeping the rules, where it's all about them and it's not about God, it is so hard to get them to see the truth of the matter. That it is all about Jesus. You know, it's, it's quite a stunning passage, John chapter 5. It begins with a physical, crippled, lame man. It ends with, spiritually speaking, crippled, 
spiritually lame leaders. And you know what is such a tragedy? Is these men wanted evidence. They wanted Jesus to prove it. He gives them corroborating evidence. They still refuse them. Why? Because of their hearts. The hardness of their hearts. They did not have the love of God in them. They loved themselves more than God. If you want to know this evening that you're a Christian, boils down to this. Do you love God? It's fascinating. John's gospel ends with the story of Jesus having breakfast on the beach with Peter. And in that whole story, right at the heart of it is love. Simon Peter, do you love me? Simon Peter, do you love me? Simon Peter, do you love me? The problem with these men is that they didn't love Jesus. You know, as I, as I wrap this up, these Jewish leaders demanded evidence for Jesus' claim. They possessed the evidence and the scriptures. They were blind to the testimony of the Father. They rejected his revelation. But listen, there is good news for all of us here this morning. God has been so good and so gracious. Do you know that he has given us even more witnesses to the truth? This is incredible, right? God's given us creation. And creation testifies to who he is. His nature, his divine power. Look at the skies above and you see God's handiwork. Look at creation all around and you see God's theater of glory, as Calvin would say. But God's not just given you that as a witness. God's given you the voice of your own conscience. He's written his law on your hearts. You sin, he speaks to you. You fall short, you need a savior. But not, not only that, God's given us inner longings and desires. You know when you cry for justice? I want justice. You know when you love beauty? You know when you pursue truth? Do you know why you do that? Because you're an image bearer of God. And these, te- these realities testify to us that we are made in the image of God. You know when you um, enjoy food, when you love music and it lifts your soul? You know when you feel the sunshine on your skin? All of this testifies to the fact that there is a good God who's generous in what he gives. And even your sin implicitly testifies to the fact that you need a savior and there is something wrong and there is only one who's got a solution. Do you know even tonight, sitting around you, God's given you other witnesses who bear testimony to the truth that God saves, that Christ is real. But the most glorious witness, the most glorious testimony is Jesus himself. 
And do you know where it's most spectacularly seen is when his arms are outstretched on the cross. In this he demonstrates God's love for us as he bears in his body the penalty and the punishment for our sin. If you're a Christian here this evening and you believe you might need to learn that prayer. I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. May I encourage you that you've got every reason to live confidently as a Christian. You've got his scriptures. They'll point you to Christ. They'll show you more of him. And, 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 and this week as you go from here, do you, know, do you know one of the things you could do? As you live for Christ. Become a lamp. Burn brightly for Jesus so that others may see, maybe even inquire, ask you for the reason, for the hope that is within you and that they too might receive the gospel. So the courtroom drama is over. Jesus has said that he is equal with God the Father. He's given the evidence. What's your verdict? Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you. Thank you for the way that you speak to us. In your word, Thank you for the way that you speak to us through our conscience in creation, through one another. But above all, we thank you for the way that you have spoken to us in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us then to respond appropriately, to hear and to believe. And then as those who do believe, Go and live and bear witness. Help us in this week ahead. Show us ways. Grant us opportunities where we can shine brightly for you. For we ask this in the name of your Son. Amen.